0: Bright Brightfrontal back in 2013. Now, he says, look, once we get to 45, 50 people, maybe it's I'm not the right guy to scale this thing. So he did a great job bringing in his CEO, Chris, who we interviewed back in episode uh, 791 if you want to listen to that. Company doing well. Less than $10 million bucks in ARR, but growing fast. Uh, $10 million raised. Uh, healthy churn in economics based off Chris's uh, childhood. Serving over 70 customers. Again, helping them very much in the kind of ad tech space. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base you'll learn how much revenue they're making what their marketing funnel looks like and how many customers they have i'm now at twenty thousand dollars per talk five and six million he is hell-bent on global domination we just broke our a hundred thousand unit soul mark and i'm your host nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you wanna get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data uh, metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing though, this database, Hello, everyone. My guest today is Nadim Hossein. He has over 17 years of experience in building, marketing, and selling cloud applications. Prior to founding Bright Funnel, he was VP of marketing at Power Reviews, paving the way for a $170 million exit. He was also a marketing executive at Salesforce.com from 2007 to 2010, he has, and he has a BA from Cornell and an MBA from Stanford. Nadim, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. All right, so guys, if Nadeem and Brighton Funnel sounds familiar, it's because we recently had Chris Mann on a couple episodes ago, back in episode 791. Uh, Nadeem, help us understand the relationship between you and Chris.
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, so Chris is someone I've known for a long time as an advisor to the company and I uh, decided to bring him in uh, as the CEO, and uh, he's doing a fantastic job. So um, you know, founded the company in January 2013 is when we incorporated – um, you know kind of build the platform achieve product market fit we raised uh, over 10 million in capital uh and then now we're really at a, at a growth phase um you know the sales and marketing execution you know, product execution um and it was a good time for me to hand the reins to someone new to take us uh you know to the to the next next couple of years
0: now uh, have you still is that your total capital in is about eight uh, 10 million or have you raised additional capital
1: Thats right our total capital end is, is about uh, just over 10 million. Um, uh, we are planning to raise raise more capital, and the company's doing very well. So we need uh, you know fuel to, um, to uh, accelerate that growth. And you asked about my role. So now I'm the you know, chairman of the company. So I've given myself, I guess, a, a little bit of a promotion. Um, but, but really what that entails is, uh, you know, the, the Chris is in charge. He's running the company day to day. Uh, so it's been a fun transition for me to go from, you know, the CEO to now. Obviously, the founder, you're always the founder forever. Um, but then, you know, being able to take on more of an active uh, board seat um, and focusing and helping the company that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Now. <laughs> um it's rare that you find a founder that's kind of at your size that has the uh well, I don't know how to say it, it has the non ego to be able to say let me bring in a new ceo besides myself uh, i assume uh, you seem like a really nice guy but i assume there are probably other strategic reasons you chose to do this what are those
1: uh you know there's all all, all sorts of things i mean you know for me the the, the uh, the calculus. I mean, not, to, not that it's a very analytical decision. There's all sorts of things, but you know, when you look at CEO founder transitions, uh, and I'm very data driven, so I, I do. I did look up the data. Uh, you know, look. You look at Crunchbase. Um, you know, you see typically the transitions happen six to seven years in. Uh, at least the ones you hear about. Uh, the ones that you know, the company goes out of business. Obviously, you transition into uh, into oblivion. Um, but but typically, it is a little bit later. But you see that sort of the pre-IPO kind of transition. Um, but when you think of a startup, you know, going from idea, you know, you know, two people in a garage or three people, um, you're trying to figure out what, exactly what you're doing, then 10 people and 30 people, then 50 and beyond where we are uh, today.
0: What do you got today?
1: Uh, we're about 45 people. Okay. Uh, so that gives you good sense. We're just going to cross 50 by the end of the year. Every one of those phases is completely different. It's a completely different company, different skill sets. And obviously, as a founder, as a CEO, you have to keep retooling yourself, have new skill sets. Um, but I think oftentimes, you know, f- for any human being to live through a couple of those phases is, I-, I think, it's incredible. It's very hard. The ones that go all the way and succeed, you know, you can pick your pick your favorites. Maybe Mark Benioff, very, very rare breed. It, it takes, um, uh, you know, certainly a lot of skill and, and sort of a unique talent. Uh, So so I think it is you do need some self-awareness to know when someone else might be able to take the company to the next phase. Of course, it is um, it is self-serving. I mean, as a big shareholder, it is in your best interest to have the right talent on the field. You know, I'm a a sports fan, so I kind of use them. I don't know if you're a football fan. Who's your team? Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't grow up in the U.S., so for me, I don't have a geographic loyalty. Uh, for me, and I've lived in Boston. I've lived in the Bay Area the longest, um, so, so I do like the Patriots quite a uh. bit. Uh, which, which, not like uh, probably at least half because they win. Let's be let's be clear. <laughs> um, so my metaphor is going to be, uh, but I'm more of a college football fan. Uh, I, I went to Stanford. I, I love the Cardinals, but if you pick someone like the Patriots. Uh, you know, it's like if you're lucky enough to be, uh, you know, Roger Kraft, but you also get to be Tom Brady for a bit. So if you leave, you know, or you, you know, maybe you're Drew Brees, right? If you hand over to Tom Brady, you still get to be Roger Kraft, at yeah. least you know a part of Roger Kraft. So so it's as a founder, the calculus is very different. You do you tactically, though, Nadim? I
0: mean, do you tactically? I mean, I, I hate to get this specific, but I'm curious. I mean, do you stop paying yourself a salary? I mean, and you're just paying like for a board seat. I mean, are you actually operationally active in the company?
1: I am right now, so um, but for a limited period of time, we haven't figured out the exact exact date. Um, why? Something me, must
0: be going on with you. Like I understand data, but is like is it a health? Is it a family? Is it something personal? Why, why transition out?
1: Well, I'll call, so I do have two very young kids. Okay. So, so from, yeah, I do have a four-year-old and a year and a half.
0: Well, okay, that um, that explains a little bit.
1: Yeah, but it's a couple of things, you know. Like as a as a CEO, uh, there's no other job like it, right? Um, you're going at you know, at a, at a speed and at a responsibility and a stress that no one else in the world can relate to you as a startup CEO. Um, the only person would be another CEO uh, at a further further stage. And when it's your own company, um, you know, I'm the biggest shareholder, you have that additional pressure of your, your entire net worth is tied to this company. And
0: Is that, wait, is that actually true for, I mean, you had some pretty high profile gigs before this, were any of those like a a meaningful enough financial exit that basically set you for life? Or is that true? Most of your, you know, your kids, college stuff, all that's tied to bright funnel. Uh, you
1: you know, bright funnel is, is valuable enough and you know, I don't enough of it that, you know, yeah, the, the value of it is, is by far the most significant, you know, part of, you know, uh, my net worth, you know, I had, uh, you know, one significant exit. I was a first time executive there. Uh, so, so, you know, that's sort of a typical sort of outcome, uh, amazing experience at power reviews. When you say
0: typical, uh, you mean in an early executive, you're talking maybe one or 2% if you're lucky. That's what you mean when you say typical outcome, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's right. Um, and yeah, so you obviously, you know, you take into account other factors, uh, and for me at, at Bright Funnel, obviously th- this is uh, you know really promising company. Uh, we're doing well. We're uh, you know about to raise our Series B. Now, as a startup, as a founder, you should think of it as it's probably going to be worth nothing, right? That's mm-hmm. the way to think about um, really any founder. You should be thinking about the outcome. But the further you get, you certainly have that self, you know, it's it's pressure because at this point we do have you know lots of employees. Past and current, who are shareholders? We've got lots of investors who put in real dollars, um, and so th- there is a certain amount of responsibility that comes with a CEO job, and you don't want it forever because it is a certain amount of um, it-, it is a very demanding, demanding job. So, as I thought about, you know, spoke with my investors and um, you know other people, obviously, and what was the right. Move for us for the next five years. It seemed like a logical time, um, you know, to hand over uh, to Chris. Now, the other thing you have to take into account is most startups are size can't attract someone really really good um not to twitter when
0: you say your size sorry when you say your size i just want to give make this tangible for people because they're probably wondering like revenue questions so when we had chris on like he, he shared general i mean this was general but he shared generally you guys are about 70 customers and a minimum kind of annual contract value is around 50 grand so we can kind of back into a minimum mrr of somewhere around 300 grand is that generally accurate when you say things like the size of our company
1: uh, I would think of it in yeah. I, I would think of it in terms of we're single-digit millions, so it's a pretty broad uh, you know range, but that gives you a good sense. In ARR, that's right. Yeah. Single-digit millions ARR. We're typical company raising a Series B. Uh, I, th- I think that's that's probably the best best guidance I can give you. And we're 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 going to be fifty people by the end of the year. How much are you guys Should
0: trying to raise in the in the Series B? <laughs>
1: Um, probably a typical series B, let's, let's leave it at that. Um,
0: well, what you're in, just to be clear, like I just got off of the phone with a guy who's like building a SaaS company in North Dakota and he uses him and he said, Oh, well, we're going to raise like a pretty normal like series. A," And I said, well, what are you doing? And he goes, well, it's like this husband and wife. Who's like our neighbor that like wants some cap table and they want to invest over the next five years. I'm like, that is not normal. So like typical is different for different yeah. people.
1: Right, so I'll give you, maybe the, uh, you're asking for more. So. I would say our, our capital raises have been fairly old school, in terms of they maybe the better word is classic, right? We did a classic uh, seed round or angel round, we called it of uh, 650k. Then we did uh, a, you know classic real seed round of two two and a quarter million dollars. Then we did a Series A of six million dollars. Um, so, you know, series B, you know, eight to 15, you know, eight yep. to 10, that's the kind of range you see in, in the Valley. Um, and that's kind of what, what, what we're, what we would be likely looking to raise. So it's a pretty broad range, but it's, it's fairly typical here.
0: That makes good sense. And, and don't obviously talk about maybe what you're going to end up at, but in general, what percentage of, co- of the company are ser- people who do series B raises giving up?
1: You know, I think the, the, the best guidance I've heard is that, you know, in every round, you know, th- think of it as a 30%. Dilution event um, because your 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 investor is um, you know they want to own a certain percent of the company that's usually about you know again people give ranges at the Series A level about they want to own 20% yeah. after you know after they invest you've got to create an employee option pool you're going to hire a bunch of people so that's going to take you know. 10 to 15 percent, depending on how much money you're raising, how long it's going to last and how many people you already have on board. So those are the two big things that are going to cause dilution, the the investors and the employee option pool in every round, every round that's going to happen.
0: So just to be clear, like if you're, if you're looking like a typical series B to raise between eight and 15, let's do 10, cause it's easy numbers and you don't want to give up more than obviously with the average, maybe series B raises of 30%. You got to figure out how to basically shoot for valuation of, you know, above the $30 million mark, right?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's typical. So, so yeah, every time you're raising more money, it has to be a reasonable valuation. At the Series B level, the ownership expectations might go down a little bit. Uh, okay. we'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, but but I think if if you're, um, you know, if you're at this stage, the expectations might be a little bit lower. Again, depending on how much capital and all that kind of stuff. Um, and as when you get into the series C and beyond, it's, it's really less ownership expectations.
0: And are you and Chris dividing and tackling here? Like, will you let him focus on the operations while you go do the capital raise? Or how do you kind of block and tackle tasks like that?
1: Uh, well, for a fundraising, I mean, if I was putting my own money into a company or if you were doing that. Uh, you know, the CEO is the captain of the ship. So that's, that's the person you want to look in the eye and and you want to really trust them to take your money and, and run with it. So absolutely, Chris is the guy that the investors are going to be looking at as we're raising money. Um, but, you know, I've been doing this for five years. I, I you know, have a good reputation. I'm certainly helping. A ton, as we get prepared for the fundraise, uh, in terms of you know network relationships, you know helping Chris out however I can. Um, but but really, there's only one guy in charge at any given time. Um, Otherwise, things get uh, really, uh, that's not a good
0: idea. (laughs) Well said, very well said. Last few questions here in terms of kind of capital utilization before we wrap up with the famous five. So in an average month, you know, it was funny, Chris gave us a good example about how you guys were uh, using capital. He said uh, Marketo Conference sponsorship did really well because you guys brought in dogs and puppies and those brought new leads like you wouldn't believe. So like where else, give me a sense of like, what are you spending strictly on paid acquisition per month or a range is fine?
1: yeah well you know it's funny it's uh, now that uh, i've handed the reins and, I, and i'm not operational it is nice not to think about those things every day I'll, I'll, yeah. i'm not gonna lie to you um when did the
0: transition I, I, happen by the way how long ago uh
1: june 1st so june yeah, it's, 1st okay it's quite, he, i brought him in uh, uh before that beginning of the year and then we made the official transition after that um you know i, I would think of it uh, i think of the business maybe more at ad- a one level above that, that, rather than sort of the, the the monthly budgets and things like that, at a aggregate level, in terms of you know the CAC and, and the payback, um, you know we want to be able to and this is not just for us. I think in general, my advice for any company, you know, you want to be able to acquire in SAS a customer um, that's going to pay back over twelve months, ideally. At this stage, a little bit earlier, uh, you know, um, you know we're under ten million as I mentioned. So typically, you know, if you're 12 months, you're doing really well, given how fast we're growing. You'd see more that closer to 18 months, you know, that 12 to 18 month payback. Um, So, you know, so that means obviously we're the average customer. You know, let's just say it's 50K ARR. You know, we'd be happy to spend 50K to acquire acquire a customer. Uh, and, And that is broken. So then it becomes that 50K per new account. How is it? And we're not looking at uh lifetime value is a whole other question, but, but as far as the payback of, of the
0: And indeed, just to be clear, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but that fifty thousand dollar CAC, you were talking fully weighted. You're dividing marketing and sales salaries into that along with paid spend.
1: That's right. That's okay. right. It's every, so so I would think of uh you know, as a CMO, you know, five years ago, uh I would think of it in terms of the marketing budget. Uh as a CEO, I've always thought about the whole thing. Yep. Uh, which I think is, is sort of it did give me a lot more empathy. Uh, you know, for you know, building our own product uh, and and the, and the users and what they have to prove out. Um, so then you're breaking it up into you know that variable marketing spend. Uh, you're breaking out of the sales and marketing headcount, um, uh, and which are, which are those are the three main components. And then you're looking at the dollars you're getting in, and then applying gross margin on it as well. So so there's different. different things you've got to do to look at the actual customer acquisition
0: cost you guys can google just the exact equation dave just said is known as really an industry as the sales efficiency ratio uh where especially where you're multiplying times gross margin at the end guys big news last month was a huge month for the company i recently acquired which was www.thetopinbox.com i liked the company so much when i met the person who created it it lets you send emails later on gmail Okay, let's wrap up here, Nadine with the famous uh, five. These are just quick one-word answers. Number one, what's your favorite business book?
1: Favorite business book. Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. I would say, I, you know, um, I like ones that are, uh, I mean, have a little bit of emotion. I loved Hard Thing, uh, uh, About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Uh, it just really captures the, 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 the essence of the CEO and founder, Tornado.
0: My, my favorite one-liner in that book is, I think he says, if you're going to eat shit, don't nimble. It's like so true. All right, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh,
1: I, I, that's a good question. Uh, There's lots of people that I that I look up to. I have a network of folks that are the best CEOs to follow are the ones that are one or two steps ahead of you. So I've got a number of those that I track. Um, Pick one. Yeah. Uh, I'm having lunch with say Nick of gainsight. Uh, he's someone I admire. So, so that's an example of one.
0: That's awesome. Speaking of CEOs, I mean, if you have someone uh, kind of generally in the ad tech space come up to you when you're going out to do this series B capital raise and they get wind of you and offer you an exit that matches or comes close to the best, the best valuation on a term you get from a VC, would you consider an exit?
1: Um, any uh, board member that tells you they won't consider an exit is, uh, should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You, your your job as a board member is to consider the value of the company. I, I'm representing every shareholder at this point, not just myself or the investors and the employees. So you you have to consider it. Um, the best exits, and again, Silicon Valley sort of conventional wisdom is full of bullshit. And part of that's like, oh, we're never going to exit. Uh, you have to consider an exit. Most companies exit. It doesn't mean you will. Uh, and and if anything, as a board member now, I think I I have much bigger picture of how much how much this company is worth how rare it is to achieve what we've achieved um so, so obviously we, we wouldn't uh, sell for something that wasn't very compelling but, but you have to consider there's no there's no question
0: number three besides your own what's your favorite online tool
1: favorite online tool um let's see um uh, you know i love anything productivity uh so Evernote, uh, you know, for note taking Calendly, um, you know, uh, I haven't tried, but I want to get it or haven't tried as a user. i would love to try some of the online scheduling tools, uh, as well. Those are some of the things that I use every day.
0: Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: Um, well, given that we've one had year old and kids, four year old, yeah, right? So, um, I try to get at least uh, seven hours, uh, so, so so it's probably not high-quality sleep, uh, so you know, probably more like six and a half to you know, eight hours, if I'm really lucky, somewhere in that range. So I'm not one of those ones who deprives myself in a big way because I yeah. already have kids.
0: <laughs> That's good. Two kiddos, married, and how old are you, Nadim?
1: Uh, I'm 40.
0: All right, last question. Take us back 20 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew?
1: Um... What do I wish my 20 year old self would do? You know, I, I've been pretty happy with my uh, career decisions and all that kind of stuff, but you know,
0: it's I, not just I, to be clear, I, it's not a regret, it's just yeah. something you wish you knew.
1: I, I would say, um, you know, I wish I knew that I should, I, you know, not a regret, but like, hey, invest while you're building your career, also find ways to like invest in public stocks, uh, you know, things like that. Because if you're an expert in a field like technology, like I've been, it's like, man, I should have gotten in on some of these IPOs. I'd say that's uh, building my investment. So diversify track. a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of saying more concentrate, but, but I, in a way diversify as far as like your career versus your, uh, your portfolio. Wait, I right want to make thing?
0: sure I understand that. Wait. So you're saying you're saying well, you wish maybe you would have taken some money you were making from your startups and put into some public stocks. Get some exposure there. Is, is that what I'm saying hearing? That's right. That's right. So
1: I guess my thesis is if you're building an expertise in in a, in a domain, in my case it's SaaS and and sort of generally enterprise software, you probably know more about it than the vast majority of people. So while you shouldn't randomly be day trading, you probably have good instincts. If you're an expert at something about public equities as well. Um, Oh, of SaaS companies. That's right. Oh, got it. As I've looked at companies I've admired. So let me pick one. So I really admired HubSpot early on, even when they were private. Um, and And now I'm looking at companies that I do admire and, and I'm putting some money behind it. Oftentimes they're still private, so it's hard to you know make that play. But if they go public, i'm I'm making sure I, I sort of follow my instincts. So I would say trust your instincts at least a little bit when you're doing um, when you're investing, create some time for that. Um, I'm, I'm I'm competitive, so I'd love to kind of you know, prove my my uh, acumen—not <laughs> uh, just with startups, but with uh, other domains.
0: There you guys have it from Nadim putting his money where his mouth is. Founded Funnel back in 2013. Now he says, "Look, once we get to 45, 50 people, maybe it's I'm not the right guy to scale this thing." So he did a great job bringing in his CEO Chris, who we interviewed back in episode uh, 791. If you want to listen to that, company doing well, less than 10 million bucks in ARR, but growing fast. Uh, 10 million dollars raised, uh, healthy churn and economics based off. Chris's uh, chat with us, serving over 70 customers, again, helping them very much in the kind of ad tech space. So thank you very much, Nadine, for taking us to the top, and good luck.
1: Thank you. Take care.